Welcome to the Tabletop Sportcast with your host, James Cast. This podcast is dedicated to my favorite hobby, tabletop sports. I'll review games in my collection, discuss how I approach different projects, and even recap the latest games from my tabletop. Have questions, thoughts, or feedback? Feel free to reach me at tabletopsportcast at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page by the same name. This is episode 20. We're going to discuss some, I'm going to discuss homebrew rules that I've used and give you a recap of my tabletop action over the past week. And even talk about some of the projects that are going on as October comes to a close and we get ready to dive into November. So let's start with a recap of the tabletop action from last week. It was dominated mostly by History Maker Baseball as I completed two days in the schedule for my 1940 Major League Baseball AL mini replay. The Cleveland Indians have stayed really hot and... They have now won 10 straight games. This week, they had three games that I played. There was a doubleheader on September 16th against the Philadelphia Athletics. Cleveland took the first game 16-12, and they won the second game 6-0. Harry Eisenstadt got the win in both games. They won their game against the Athletics on the 17th as well by a score of 16-5 to with Milner getting the win there. And just some big performances from the Cleveland hitters in these games. Hal Trotsky in game one of the doubleheader went 5-7 for with two home runs and seven RBIs. And Ken Keltner in the game from... September 17th ended up going four for six with two home runs and seven RBIs. So big contributors to those monster run totals for them in those couple games. At the same time, Boston uh, dropped another game on the 16th and they are on the verge of elimination. They are 11 and a half out with 12 to play after a six, five loss to the Chicago White Sox. Detroit gave back a game to the Indians. Uh, they lost their game on the 16th, 12-2. to oh, I'm sorry, they won that game. They've been, they have been able to maintain three and a half out. They won their two games on the 16th and 17th against, uh, against Washington. They won 12-2 to on the 16th and then 11-3 to on the 17th. I also so ended up playing four, six, seven, eight games from those two days. Um, the other thing I did was some fast drive football. So finished out my Rams schedule. Got about got a total of eight games in for the Rams. This is my 1990 season replay using fast drive football. Uh, the Rams actually did fairly well. They ended up um, basically splitting uh, most of the games there. So they ended up, and I covered their the finish to their season on this podcast in my last episode, but 
they ended up finishing their season at eight and eight. In real life, they had gone five and eleven, so it was a pretty big improvement. A lot of close games for them too. So about eight games for them. My Fury Hardball World Cup for 2021 saw the Group E play, and Baltimore came out on top of the group. Uh, they finished with a record of six and three to win Group E, and they will advance to the knockout stage. They had Clower record 11 zingers, and Leffler had five stingers for Baltimore. The other thing I got onto the table this week was an old game um, that I had picked up last year, a freebie from Al Wilson called D6 Pro Football Dynasty. And basically the premise of this game is you run through um, a coaching career and you can go up to 20 years, depending on whether or not you can keep getting your contract renewed. I was able to continue to get my contract renewed, got through 20 years. Um, this is the second time I've played this game. I finished with a winning record. I ended up winning the, the, the championship, the Super Bowl in year 19. So it took me a while, uh, but I finished with one championship, had a rec final record of 180 wins, 140 losses, went 19 and 11 in playoffs, and that totaled 73 points. And one of the reasons I got that game on the table again is I was looking at my game log and starting to see some games have not made it to the tabletop in a while. So I wanted to start getting some of the older games back on the table if it makes sense for me to get them out there again. So I actually have updated my gaming log to track like how long it has been since I've played certain games and using it as a kind of dashboard for myself. So looking at less than 30 days being green, um, 30 to 90 days being yellow, and anything over 90 days since I've played it, uh, moving to red. Um, and I've got like 32 different games that I'm tracking on my gaming log. Not all of them are sports-related games. Uh, some of them are just other tabletop games that I'll play. But... You know, as it stands right now, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, 16, 17, 17 different games have made it to the tabletop in the past 30 days. And that's a good reflection of how October went for me. I was able to get a good mix of games onto the table. I'm pretty happy with the diversity of games. Had a lot of good projects going this past month as well. Um, obviously, I wrapped up my um, Hockey Blast all-time great team tournament that was that King of the Ice Mountain. Covered the end of that on this podcast. Uh, we just this week kicked off our new cooperative project for play games. This is using Soccer Blast. We are going to recreate the Euro 2020 tournament. So... We just got that started, and that's underway, and I'll probably be talking about that in my in next week's episode. I think that'll be the focus of next week's episode. The other thing has been, you know, just trying to move along some projects so that they are close to finishing, and and that's how I trying to wrap up this year like on a high note by closing out some more projects, and. 
the as I look ahead to November, like that's one of the things that I'm, I noticed about November was I'm getting fewer and fewer games to the table right now based on the fact that I really am just trying to get things across the finish line and wrap them up. So, you know, the two main projects that I'm trying to finish this year in November, my target is to finish the second season express 1973 NFL replay. So I've got my championship games and the Super Bowl scheduled for November. Um, and then in December, I'm hoping to close out my final foursome tournament using History Maker Golf and the 2000 Greats collection. So that's going to see me get the second semifinal completed in November and then have the final match play round taken care of in December. So those are key things that I've gotten working on on my tabletop. Obviously, you know, this was a good month for this podcast. Uh, You know, that was another thing I really wanted to build a routine around and feel like I've got a good routine now of two shows a week. Um, Launched a Facebook page for the podcast and made some good um, updates with my website. So just really pleased with just how the total picture is kind of coming together and that it's not really sacrificing in terms of the gameplay. Um, oh, and the other thing to call out, and again, covered that in this podcast was October. I added some new games to the collection and that was something I'm going to probably continue to focus in on. Um, I only have a couple more games on a wish list, and I'll probably talk about that later on um, in November as well. Um, as we talk, you know, get ready for the holidays and start thinking about the, you know, 2022, uh, just like what games do I want to have added to my collection? So that's the recap of what's been going on on the tabletop. So for today's topic, we're going to discuss homebrew rules, and I will start with a couple of quick disclaimers. The first is I've reviewed the rules as much as I could about all of these different games that I'm going to mention today, and I am feeling pretty confident that none of these rules that I'm going to discuss are already in the core rules of the game. The second one is I'm can't say for certain if any of these are actually my creation. I more, I probably picked them up somewhere along the way or tweak something that I saw someone else doing at some point, maybe even adapted it from something that may have been in a different game. So that's where we're coming off from. Uh, but these are definitely ones that I use in my games and on my tabletop. And that's where that homebrew is going to come into play. Now, when I think about a homebrew, I want to make sure that I follow a couple of different tenets. Uh, First is, I try to make sure that a homebrewed rule doesn't actually alter the, the base game mechanics. When I create a rule that I'm going to use at home, I try to make it so that it's you know, enhancing the gameplay, 
but without actually changing the way that the game plays. As soon as I start moving into those types of things, which I definitely have done, it's to me becoming more of altering the actual game, making it into almost like a spin-off version or, you know, changing something about the core of the game. So those are a different set of rules and I'm not going to discuss anything here that gets into like changing those game mechanics. The other thing is I, you know, most of these are things that I wouldn't really think about putting into play until at least like the fifth session of playing a game. There are definitely times, um, and I can remember even recently, like um, I discussed recently how I just got the game Regatta and I'm playing that for the first time and I'm already thinking like, oh, you know what I could do? I could do A, I could do B, I could do C. But even though I might think of those as I'm going through it, I definitely try not to start tweaking and playing around with the game until I've got a good understanding of how to play the game in its entirety. And that I think is, I think a good rule of thumb is like five sessions, like play five sessions before you start trying to tinker with the rules. All right. That being said, let's talk about this and I'm going to do this in like top 10 style. So we have 10 homebrewed rules that I'm going to discuss and let's start with number 10. And these go from, I think if you're thinking about like what, I wouldn't say these are necessarily best to worst or in, in terms of one through 10, but probably more simplicity to complexity, right? The uh, simplest ones will be the first ones we discuss and what the more complex ones are going to be the ones that are towards the top of this list. So at number 10 is just something basic. Uh, and I use this for just about any football game that I have. And that is the coin toss. Uh, most games don't actually cover like how to do the coin toss. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, certainly, if I think about using like a decider die, that probably is a good way to go approach it. But in the second season, second season express, the, there's really no decider die. So what I'll typically do is just grab two die, one for the home team, one for the road team, roll them if the number, if the home team number is better or equal to the road team's number, then they will defer the kickoff and take the ball in the second half. If the road team has it, then they're the, you know, has the higher number than, and only if they have the higher number, then they will defer the kickoff. And that's basically how I do that. And so I just use that. I always have it be a deferment, no matter what the game is. So the you know, the idea is they want to always take it the ball last. Um, and I even do that for some of like the alt football games. Like if I don't already have an idea, um, I think like, like typically when I do a Fury football schedule, for instance, I don't necessarily pick home and road teams. I'll just say that these two teams playing each other and then I'll roll the die and see who has the higher number and, if it's even, then that whoever was, you know, in that home slot when I put the cards down will be the one that, you know, gets to defer there. All right. So rule number 10 is a basic coin toss. Rule number nine um, is something I use with face to the mat. 
And every now and again with the highlight reel cards in Face to the Mat, you'll get the card that says highlight A or B. Highlight reel A or B. And instead of rolling a decider die there to decide if it's going to be A or B, I basically just kind of alternate back and forth. And the first time it comes up, it's always going to be A. Second time, B. Third time, A. So, And I'll just keep going back and forth on those. Um, usually in the course of a show, I'll only get it to come up maybe two or three times, that card. And, and that just allows me to make that quick decision on the fly to realize, like, have I had it yet? No. All right, then it's A. And if it has happened, then it's B. If by some chance, and it happens rarely, that I get another one, it would be going back to A again. Homebrew rule number eight is for the game Decathlon. So in Decathlon, if you've ever played it, there are, and I'm and I'm currently playing with the centennial rules that were created, and I forget who is the author of those, but there was a centennial rule that came out. And now in that centennial rules, the athletes have the opportunity to take a safe attempt, a normal attempt, or a max effort attempt in any one of the 10 events for like I think except for not in all 10 of the events I think believe it is so what I'll typically do is and this is again I don't think it's stated in the rules anywhere but I will typically just start everybody on the normal efforts they will move to a safe effort only if they've created two fouls so if it's like a throwing event or a jumping event and they have yet to get in a safe attempt then that's when they're going to go for the safe attempt only on their third effort. That's because there's no possibility of a foul on those safe attempts. And this makes sure that they at least get a score because the difference between getting three fouls and at least getting a score, even if it's not a great one, is tremendous in terms of decathlon. In terms of max efforts, I will almost never have them use a max effort unless they've completely hit the like pretty close to their ultimate effort on the normal chart if they've done that and there's a possibility of getting a better effort on their second or third attempt in the jumping or throwing events then i will allow them to take a max effort once they usually don't do it twice but i'll let them go one time there and if it's on their second attempt then they'll just pass on their third attempt after taking a max effort attempt um, if they've, if they do it on their third attempt, then they'll take that. And, and, and that's the only time they'll use the max effort until like the last events of the day. So I try to, for all the athletes, reserve their max efforts until they get to the last event of day one, which is the 400 or the last event of day two, which is the 1500. And I want them to try to maximize their max efforts for those final events. So rule number eight is from the game Decathlon, and it's basically managing the safe, normal, and max effort attempts. Rule number seven comes from Fury Football. I mentioned it before. Here's an actual rule that I use for it. I mentioned before about the coin toss. So with Fury Football, the home team, if I do have a schedule that has home and road, or if that team wins the coin toss and becomes the home team, they get to defer the possession to the road team. Uh, so they'll always be the second team with possession. 
and they're going to get the first use of any strategy cards. So I, that's one of the few games that I will actually use the strategy cards for, uh, just because there's it's really important to I think the team chemistry and how you use the strategy cards. So I always use the strategy cards when it comes to Fury football, and the home team gets the first use of it, but they defer the ball. All right, that's rule number seven was Fury football and home team deferring position, getting used to the strategy cards. We're on rule number six, which is coming from History Maker Baseball. And I'll throw a little um, teaser out there. I've got two of them for History Maker Baseball. It is the game that I play the most often. So the first one has to do with bullpen management. So rule number six, we're going to talk about bullpen management. This isn't exactly stated in the rules, but I typically, you know, especially if I'm doing like season replays and maybe if I'm doing a, like, for instance, when I did my 2019 Mets replay, I was doing the full Mets schedule, but all those other teams were not having their full schedule played out. So one of the rules that I use a lot, and I've seen this being used in some of my cooperative events that I do too, um, if I play in leagues, is if you have a full star relief pitcher, they get to use three innings over the course of a, you know, I typically will play like a three-game series. Um, even if it's like a four-game series, I might still keep it at three innings, but give them three innings over that series. Full star pitcher, three innings. A empty star pitcher would get two innings. And if they don't have a star, they only get one inning. And that just allows me to really think about how I want to manage the bullpens. It also gives me the opportunity if it's late, like if if a strong starter can go deep into game one, it really saves the bullpen. And I get that impact of that saved bullpen. Because now all of a sudden, like if I have a full star reliever, well, I can use him in two innings in one of those next two games, right? But if I need him in all three games, like if it's my seventh inning guy and he has to come in in the seventh inning in all three games, I have the opportunity to do that with him. So full star, three innings, empty star, two innings, no star, one inning. That's what they would get to do over the course of a, of a series. All right, so rule number six is bullpen management. Rule number five will bring us to soccer blast. So another simple rule here. So soccer blast, what I will do typically is I know that their teams are going to be able to make no more than three substitutions during the course of a game. So once I've created the lineups, I then usually also designate like who are my three subs going to be. Sometimes that's really easy to determine. For instance, when I was doing my 2019-2020 Liverpool FC replay, I know there was a number of games where Mane, who's one of the top um, scorers, was did not roll to start that game, right? So he'd be on the bench. So I knew like he's going to be one of the three subs, though, right? I'm, it's like one of those games where they probably decided to like conserve his energy and just have him play like late in the game and just get some fresh legs out there. And so if it's like a normal starter who doesn't get into the lineup enough, 
then they're going to be one of the three subs. And the way I'll use it is pretty much the same way I'll do like a lineup creation is I'm looking for guys who have like those key symbols, have a lot of traits, then like have the scoring ability too. So I'll pick those three subs. There are definitely players who, like again, when I did the Liverpool FC replay, there were some guys who, if they didn't, were typically not in the starting lineup, but were almost always in that sub listing. And the only times that they might come out was if I just had a bad role on the creating the starting lineup. And then maybe there was more starter, like my normal starters who had to be subs. And then that might've bumped somebody else down, um, especially if they weren't the ones selected to start that game. I just find it easier. And that's why it's, it's already determined when it comes time to make a substitution late in the game, I'm not searching through their bench cards to try to figure out like who's coming into the game. I have, those three picked out already. The only thing I have to do, then decide is, and I typically try to make sure I've got a good blend. Do I need a defensive sub or do I want more of an offensive sub? And that will determine a lot depend on where they are. So with Liverpool, I knew I was probably going to be in the lead and I wanted to make sure I had at least some guys who had defensive traits um, as my subs. Cause I was probably going to want to switch out some offensive players and bring out some defensive guys. But that's the rule that I use for Soccer Blast. I pick my three subs prior to the game so that they're on there and ready to go on the tabletop right in front of me. Rule number four, we'll switch to Hockey Blast. So for Hockey Blast, I use, the, I use one of the advanced rules, which is allows for some line manipulation. So um, one of the advanced rules, we've talked about this in a previous episode, is that the you get to one uh, once per period, you can skip a line and, oh no, once per period, you can double up on a line and twice per period, you can skip lines. So when I do that, I the rule that I have for to, en- to enact that, that um, advanced rule is that I alternate the periods for the line dominance. So in the first and third periods, the home team gets the advantage. They can make the first line change, which is typically immediately at the start of the game, uh, of the start of the period, since they have all their top lines out, they're going to do their double right away. And then the way it will typically work out is the next line change would go to the 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 opponent team so in the first and third periods this would be the road team and they're going to usually get to their skip first that usually gets followed by the home team making a skip and then both teams will go through their skip rotations again and then usually if if they get the opportunity late in the game or late in the period the road team will get to use their double um some of this depends on the lulls and the number of lulls that you have in a period might impact how often you can make those other changes. And that's why I think it's really important to give those the home team the better chance of doing that in the first and third periods. Now, in the second period, it's the road team that gets the advantage. So they get to make that first line change in the second period. Um, so that's that's a rule that I use for for enacting that advanced rule about the line changes is alternating the periods. Was rule number four for rule number three? It's back to history maker baseball. 
So again, this one's kind of simple, but a lot of the results on the main chart for History Maker Baseball refer to choice uh, fielders. Maybe a choice outfielder or a choice infielder. Um, they're not really determining necessarily like who it has to be. And that's one of the things I really like about the game is they allow you to do that. So there's two things that I do when it comes to the choice results. The first is handedness, right? Like I'll look at the batter and determine like what hand are they? If they're a lefty, I'm looking at that right side of the infield and outfield. And if they're a righty, I'm going to look at the left side um, for the results. And then the other piece that I'll do is I will say if it's on the main chart, then the, if the results coming from the main chart and it asks for the choice, I will stick to the middle of the field, shortstop, second base, center fielder. If it comes from one of the other charts, like the drama charts or any of the other ones, like uh, special results or unusual results, if it's a choice at that point, I'm going to go towards the corners. And that's going to be, you know, first and third base or left and right field. Simple, but again, makes it for quick decisions. I don't need extra roles now to determine, like, which fielder it's going to be. Um, I think it works percentage-wise to keep things evened out. Um, more of your results would probably be going towards the middle of the field. So I want the shortstops and second baseman to have more opportunities there. So it's it's based on handedness first, and then which chart am I reading off of second? And that helps me determine like where in the field is the play actually going to go to. For rule number two, so we're at number two now. I am going to Fury Hardball. Now on Fury Hardball, one of the things that happens on the Furious Action chart is there's two opportunities for wingers. Now wingers is basically like a hit batter. But on those two results, now if it's a, if you roll a, it's usually like um, a nine. If you roll a nine, you're gonna have um, punches thrown. So it's a, it's a hit batter, winger, and then punches are thrown. On the If you roll an eight, it is also a winger, and then there's the option for punches to be thrown. So the, here's the way I usually play that. And again, I don't think this is in the rules. I'm pretty sure this is just something I've started doing. But what I do is if I roll an eight first, if the first winger that I get is on an eight, I will, I will not have punches thrown the first time. So it's basically like the first guy who gets plunked, they're not really going to punches at that point. But then I, and I use a mechanism. So I actually got um, from Travis Jansen. He printed out a set of his um, Fury Hardball um, icons, dots, whatever you want to call them, like the little pieces to move around. And one of them's the little, um, I forget what he calls his guys now, but he has like printed me out a little batter and it's two-sided, two, two different colors. So I've got a blue side and an orange side for my New York Mets. So I keep it on the blue side to basically say like things are calm. And then as soon as those punches, you know, as soon as there's a first winger or, or punches are thrown, then I flip that guy over and now I'm on the orange side. And that's my cue that we're going to now have the possibility of that's going to be punches thrown. So if I roll the eight first, 
they have one free chance to not have punches thrown. And then after that, any other wingers will re- result in punches being thrown, unless it comes off the batter's card. It just has to be on that furious action chart. Um, now, like right now, I'm doing my World Cup, and the teams play a three-game set against each other. And I will actually carry that over for the future games as well. So as soon as punches are thrown during a three-game set, that team, those two teams are heated until the end of that series. So that will keep it where then any wingers in the future games, if it happens in game one, any game after that, if there's a winger, it's going to be punches thrown. So that's rule number two, how to, how to handle the wingers in Fury Hardball. And now number one, my number one homebrewed rule comes from Red, White, and Blue Racing. One of the things that I caught on to early on with Red, White, and Blue Racing was that um, some of the racers were earning blue chips and not getting a chance to use them by the end of the race. And when you're doing like a season replay, and that's usually how I'm doing it as I'm building out a whole season. If you're doing a season replay, one of the things you're trying to do is generate like who's going to be on the TV list for each race. Now, early on, I think in my first season, I did it where the the race winner and the overall leader in the season points were both going to automatically be on the TV list. But then I realized people were being left with blue chips and not getting a chance to use them. And I don't think this really impacts the gameplay necessarily, but what I do is any drivers who finish the race with a blue chip, I then add to the TV list for the next race. And I think it's a really great way to just show like these guys were making some things happen on the track. Like that's why they earned the blue chip. They had some things that were happening in a positive way. Um, they may have gotten it from a duel, maybe they got it from a fast pit, whatever it was, but they just didn't get a chance to really seize the moment in that race. But this allows them to at least get a chance to be talked about in their race week, right? And that's how they ended up on the TV list. So that's my number one rule. I use that to determine the TV list. Uh, I still roll for the TV list. So this was just additional racers who were automatically on that TV list, um, and then I add to that whatever I would naturally roll for the TV list. But it always includes the race leader, so I still keep the race leader. I've dropped the season point leader, although I will be honest, my next season I will probably bring it back. And then I'll and still continue with this blue chip. If you have a blue chip at the end of the race, you get to be on the TV list. Now, I've had drivers who have two or three blue chips at the end of the race, but that still only gets them the one TV list. Like, I don't get them, like, on the TV list for the next three races or anything like that. They get one shot. They use all their blue chips to get that one shot. And they don't keep those blue chips for the next race. This is just what they use it for. They use those whatever chips they have left over to get on the TV list for the next race. So there you have it. There's my top 10. So just to recap again, it was Second Season Express, uh, Face to the Mat, Decathlon, Fury Football, History Maker Baseball, twice, Soccer Blast, Hockey Blast, Fury Hardball, and Red, White, and Blue Racing. There's a lot of play games on here, and I have other games, but uh, quite honestly, like 
for some of the other games, and I, I wrote down a couple other games, even some that are still from play, uh, Legends of Boxing, High Lie, Regatta, Fast Drive Football, things that are more just simulation type games that don't really have a lot of um, necessarily opportunities for the homebrewed rules. I haven't figured out how they really used any yet in those games. I mean, I play a lot of Legends of Boxing, haven't really figured out how to create some homebrewed rules yet for that. But for a lot of the other games that are telling more of a story or maybe that I do more season type stuff with, like that's something that I think it's hard to imagine having a game where I don't come up with at least one homebrewed rule that either I create or that I see somebody else doing and say, yes, I want to incorporate that. Um, but I always try to make sure that it doesn't alter the game mechanics. I want that core game to stay as it's supposed to. And then I also try not to incorporate them too quickly. Like get a good feel for a game before you start trying to incorporate a homebrewed rule to make sure you understand how the game mechanics work before you start tweaking it. Um, I will give you a quick fail fast where I was not long into history maker baseball when I started to try to tweak and come up with my own method for stolen bases. And after a while I realized like some of the tweaks I was making were almost making it too easy to get stolen bases or it wasn't working out the way I'd wanted it to. And so I've reverted back now to like saying to myself, like, just trust the game mechanics. Um, there are some alternate stolen base charts out there that are different than the base rules. And I have used those at times, but most of the time I'll just go back to my, the base game and just say, let me just treat stolen bases the way that they were intended. Even though I have some ideas on how I think it could work better. Um, I've tried to stay away from it because again, it starts to break one of my core tenets of don't alter the game mechanics. And that to me is something that would actually alter the game mechanics. All right. I appreciate everyone listening. I think next uh, game of the week next week is going to be from, it's going to be a big week for our Euro 2020 project that we are doing. So I will do a recap of the game that I have assigned to myself, which is I'll be playing England at Croatia. And then for our next Sunday show, we will actually do the official kickoff show for the Euro 2020, even though we will probably be about halfway through the group stage by the time I get to that, but that will be our official kickoff of Euro 2020. So thanks for listening and hope you tune in next time.